It is Unleashed Barrier Sports Talk with me, John Lund from KMBR Radio in San Francisco for November 10th, 2021. It is Thursday. Uh, by the way, episode 41, great 41s. Dak Nowitzki, Tom Seaver. Remember Brian Piccolo? Uh, Brian's song, played by James Kahn. Thurl Bailey, Alvin Kamara, Daryl Evans, and my personal favorite, my friend, Phil Villapiano. Those are your famous 41s for episode 41. Uh, free agency starts Thursday. What's going on, Giants? Why haven't you signed anybody? I got Gabe Kapler for you on the KBR Hot Stove Show last night, and he revealed something very interesting. The Lakers show what happens when you give up on the young guys too soon. Kyle with just an okay update on injured guys yesterday and one for the road. Twitter is screwed. Let's go. What's happening? Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you making Unleashed Bay Area Sports Talk with me, John Lund, your first stop for Bay Area Sports Talk each weekday. Please spread the word. Much appreciated. Listen what you are doing, so we're halfway home. Subscribe where you get your favorite podcast. I told you the YouTube channel. I've said this at the beginning of the podcast. YouTube channel's coming. YouTube channel's coming. It is coming. Weather is uh, dried out in the Bay Area, so the guys are putting the finishing touches on the studio, and then you'll be able to see my beautiful face each weekday morning and feel better about yourself uh, interact at John Lund Radio anytime whether you love it whether you hate it questions comments always throw out questions to you each weekday and we'll put the best ones on the podcast and on YouTube as well my day job at KNBR Radio KNBR 680 KNBR.com you can stream us or if you're in the Bay the booming signal that is KNBR 680 I'm on from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific time with the voice of the 49ers Greg Hoppe and if you're new here, thank you so much for making the time. We appreciate it. We know you got tons of places you can go to get your Barry uh, sports news and sports news in general, so I appreciate you stopping by and hanging out on the uh, podcast, giving us a try, checking it out. And, uh, again, if you're new, uh, we'll start everything with the uh, leadoff spot, which the big story is today. The Giants hit free agency, and our friend John Shea, who is going to be on my KMBR radio show on Thursday, lots of news. Scott Boris is talking. Farhan Zaidi is talking. So we got a few things that's going on there, and I'm still not completely convinced that things are going to go the way that people say. LeBron James gets hurt in the Lakers' loss, and it reminds us of something in the Warriors. We'll get into that, too. Kyle Shanahan gives us just an okay update, as I said, on 49ers injuries. There are two in particular that I'm nervous about. I'll get into that. And then if you were around yesterday and you're into social media, Twitter is already a mess. Thank you, Elon. We'll get into all those things. So let's lead it off for, again, Episode 41, November 10th, 2021, your leadoff spot free agency for the Giants. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. I think uh, the path to the playoffs in 23 is clear. And it's, I mean, one one way to think about it is we're, we just have to get better on defense. I think if you look back to the 22 season, uh, you know, particularly in the months of May, June, July, we just didn't catch the ball. And it's a huge deal, right? Like there's a cascading effect to not uh, converting ground balls into outs. It means the starting pitchers have to get extra outs. It means relievers have to come into the game earlier. And look, when the difference of, in making the playoffs is, you know, five, six, seven games, that's everything. So um, I think the path to, to cleaning that up is pretty clear. We got a lot of work to do. We're taking this off season very seriously. Uh, the, the fact that we didn't reach our goals in 2022 is certainly a motivating factor. I'll say that we're 
we're motivated in every offseason. But this one in particular, I think there's a special kind of hunger uh, going on for both our players and our staff. And I think the organization in its entirety is excited about putting a more athletic and an exciting and 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 hardworking team on the field. That is Giants manager Gabe Kapler, KNBR, on the a nighttime show with uh, former major leaguer FP Sanchangelo. And FP got a lot of great stuff out of Gabe. But let's take Gabe at his word right there, and that has been a consistent theme for the Giants. So it is free agency day. Everything opens up. They're down in Vegas. Don't know how fast all this stuff is going to happen. Uh, Scott Boris is down there making all sorts of crazy proclamations, as he always does, and holding court. Nobody wants to be first and set the market, so this may take a little bit of time. But let's take Gabe at the word of the first thing, because it was the first thing he said, that the Giants need to do is shore up their defense. Now, they need to shore up some pitching because Carlos Rodona doesn't sound like he's going to come back to the Giants as he opted out of his deal. It was a a two-year deal with a one-year opt-out, and it sounds like he's going to get five years, and it doesn't sound like the Giants are going to be all that comfortable with five years with Carlos Rodon, not because he wasn't great last year, but because he's got an injury history. So let's put pitching aside for a second because there is going to be a limited shift. The Giants got the Giants were bad on, as far as metrics defensively, but they were one of the top teams in runs saved due to the shift. So their metrics and all their computers and everything had the players in the right position, and they still couldn't make the plays. So what are they going to do defensively this year when you have a limited shift so you don't have that advantage? And you are limited athletically. So when we look at the players that they're going to go out and get, and we get obsessed, I do, with the offensive numbers, but I've talked to enough players who say, look, you'll get enough offense. You've got it. The game is about defense and pitching. So, And they're saying that their pitching is good enough, although I think they need to go out and get a 1A or a 1B starter to Logan Webb. But they've got to get better defensively. They've got, got to get more athletic as a team. And this is something I've said consistently. What that means is, They have a bunch of old guys on this team, and Farhan Zaidi did say yesterday that they're not sure on the option. They've got to make a decision today on Evan Longoria, who's 36 years old. When he does play, he's a pretty good defender, but you can't go into the season this year, and this is another theme for the Giants. You can't go into the season with these old guys and expect that they're going to play 140 games. You did that with Brandon Belt. You did that with Brandon Crawford. You did that with Evan Longoria, and you got burned. So you've you've got to say, okay, we won 107 games. We tried to run it back. Those guys got hurt. We got to change things. But let's let's stay on the athletes right now. I'm still skeptical, first and foremost, from a money perspective, that they're going to go out. Anthony DiSclefani has been the biggest contract that they've given out under Farhan in the four years that he's been here. His contract over three years totaled $36 million. Yesterday, Kyla McDaniel from ESPN, who comes on with us on occasion on our KNBR show, put out a piece that said that Aaron Judge's AAV, average annual value, yearly salary, if you will, is going to be $36 million per year. Biggest contract Giants have given out, $36 million over three years. And he's saying that Aaron Judge is going to get $36 million per year. I think it's going to be closer to $40 million per year, but it's convenient to say thirty-six because I am still doubtful. And if you get Aaron Judge, that's fine. But he's on, well, I, I was going to say he's on record. I don't know that he's on record, but it, it's through the grapevine, through sources that say that he's not coming to San Francisco by himself. It's not going to be him. He's not going to be Mike Trout. He wants guys around him. Anthony Rizzo's name has been mentioned. Others have been mentioned. But when Gabe, let's go back to Gabe Kapler and the, and the athletes on this team. They've got X amount of dollars to spend on these players, and I kind of added it up as far as if you're going to go the big name route, which is like Aaron Judge at $40 million and Carlos Correa at another $35 million. Well, now you're at seventy-five. 
Are they going to make? Are they going to jack this payroll up from 168 million to 270? Are they going to put 100 million dollars on the books? I don't think so. So what I think is it's going to be around. I don't know. Let's just say high end 70, 80 million bucks. And so maybe what I was thinking more of is guy a guy like Dansby Swanson, who's a good defender in the prime of his career, has good range. He's at say twenty to twenty five million dollars. Anthony Rizzo is a good defensive first baseman. You need that to tie the infield together. And after Brandon Belt got hurt again, I think you need to get that. So Anthony Rizzo is going to cost you about two and thirty or fifteen a year. Uh, I have a sneaking suspicion Kodai Senga, who's a pitcher out of Japan, who, again, I'm going to use Kylie McDaniel's numbers, he's got him at about $14 million a year over four, which is a lot better than the $40 million for a guy like Justin Verlander or Jacob deGrom. I just don't see them going to that number, so Senga at about 14 per. Sounds like somebody they'd be after, and he'd be the 1B in the rotation, although with Alex Wood being injured a lot, and with Anthony DiScalfani being injured a lot, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, say, a Chris Bassett uh, type of a guy would be added to that as well. And then let me give you a few low-end names, and I don't want you to vomit, especially if you're listening to the podcast early in the morning, but don't be shocked if the Dodgers don't offer a contract to Cody Bellinger, really athletic, good defensive center fielder, Everybody probably thinks because he is still young enough and was the MVP in 2019, and I know you've seen him a lot, and he hasn't been good, but Farhan and Gabe have ties to him, and he's a really, really good defensive center fielder, which is something they need, and if you go the route I'm suggesting, which is a little bit less money, but you get more players, or if they really go the route, which I'm skeptical of, and getting a judge in a Correa... Well, they're going to need lower-end guys with some high upside, and that's what Farhan loves to do. I always tell you, TJ Maxx, Marshalls, dumpster diving, that's his specialties. I don't know that Cody Bellinger is a dumpster dive type of a guy, but he's eligible for arbitration four, so he's projected about $16 million this year on a one-year deal. That sounds like right up the Giants' alley. That's a lot of money to you and I, but to many, it's not that much money. Other guys who could be uh, low-end, high-return, Will Myers, who has always crushed the Giants. He's projected this year to not get a ton, $2 and $20 million. Another guy who everybody seems to be waiting on but is a really good defensive player and has that power bat, and he, he could be a platoon guy, and I hate that word too. But Joey Gallo is a left-handed bat. He's projected at one year and $8 million. So there's a couple of low-end guys that you might want to take a look at. And then there's two guys in the trade market who don't cost a ton of money that I think could fill out this roster very nicely, and that is former Giant Brian Reynolds, who there was a little bit of uh, chatter that they were flirting with him last year. He's a former Giant who went over to the Pirates in the Andrew McCutcheon trade, above-average defensive uh, outfielder. Now he plays center with the Pirates. If you could put Bellinger in center and Reynolds in left and Mike Yastrzemski in right, now you're cooking with gas as far as your defense. Reynolds is a very good hitter. Again, I understand your trepidation about Cody Bellinger being a Dodger and not being very good lately. And then the other guy is, and I don't know if the A's and the Giants would swing this, Sean Murphy's name is out there, the athletics catcher. Joey Bart was bad, better, and then bad again at the end of the season. The A's have a lot of uh, catching prospects in their system. I don't know what it would cost to take get Murphy, but he's a power right-handed bat. He's a good defensive player. He's young. And I don't know how much the A's would would make you give up. I just know that Sean Murphy would fit nicely on this team. He's not too young. He's a veteran. He's proven. So there's two names. And plus, he's uh, estimated his first year of arbitration making about $3 million. What they've got to do here, and my point in throwing all those names out there, 
is that they've got to do a mix of things, whether they go a route of Aaron Judge and Correa, and then that's it, and then finding a bunch of bargains, or if they kind of go the route, which I think they will, which is more spread it out, get more players. They really need a lot. They need guys more in the prime of their career. And again, to go back to Gabe Kapler last night on KNBR, athleticism. A lot of these guys have athleticism. A lot of these guys that I mentioned are good defensive players. And then the last part of this thing that needs to happen for the Giants is that they need to start bearing some fruit from the farm system. So Kyle Harrison, is he going to be rushed up a little bit? It sure sounds like it. Uh, Casey Schmidt, who I talk about on KNBR all the time because I pulled some cards out of a pack. I'm a uh, dorky uh, card collector, and I got a few of his cards that are autographed, so I've always, I've kind of been joking that I, you know, I'm hoping that he's going to be great. Well, he actually last year was great. He's a really good defensive third baseman. And as power, is he ready to go? And we'll find that out maybe today if they decline Evan Longoria because they have David VR then, and possibly they would have Tyro Estrada as somebody who could play third base. If they bring in one of those shortstops, Crawford moves to second, then that means Tyro Estrada is going to probably split his time between second, short, third. It'll be a super U kind of a guy. I don't know if he can play outfield, but that would be that. And then beyond Harrison and Schmidt, they got to figure out what Elliot Ramos is. Does he have a future on this team or not? He was kind of the first one that we thought was going to bear fruit out of this farm system. And the last couple of years, he just hasn't been very good. So what is that guy? Because he was kind of supposed to be the first wave. He was supposed to be the guy that was going to, okay, this guy's been around a long time, former first-round pick, very toolsy. But especially last year, he just wasn't very good. And not only in the majors, but down at Sacramento. So they got to figure out him. And then late in the season, potentially, there's talk of, and this is like the great mystery guy, and has kind of led this farm system for a long time, Marco Luciano, who is probably going to start the year in double-A, but there's another guy that, you know, I don't, he's a big guy. I've only seen him in spring training. I just remember a couple of years ago, he was wearing 94, and he was standing on second base, and I said, he, he doesn't have the width of a shortstop. That guy has the width of like a third baseman or outfielder or something like that, so I don't know where he fits anyway. But the point in saying all those things is they're going to have a lot of money to spend do they spend it on the high-end guys? Do they spread it out over a number of really good players? Do they get aggressive in the trade market for guys like Reynolds and Murphy? And can they start bearing some fruit from the farm system like Harrison and Schmidt and what's going on with Ramos? It's a fun day today. You have a good time trying to figure out what they're going to do, and everybody says the same thing, that they're going to be aggressive. It was said yesterday. Farhan reiterated it. Gabe Kapler reiterated it last night on KMBR. Scott Boris, the super agent, said he expects the Giants to be very aggressive in free agency. I've said this numerous times. I'll believe it when they pull the Dusty Wallet out and start signing players. I think they will. It's just at what level will they? This is going to be fun. Next. Uh, the injury. Um, you know, we'll get pictures on it tomorrow and, uh, and go from there. But didn't do anything. Um, you know, extraneous on the play. Just when I landed, I felt a little, uh, you know, the spasm or, 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 or strain in my in my groin. So uh, immediately I used to come out after that, after the next play down when I went to the free throw line. That's uh, LeBron James last night. They lose again, 114-101 to their crosstown rivals, the LA Clippers, who didn't even have Kawhi Leonard. The Lakers now find themselves at 2 and 9 as I and as I said in episode 40 this being episode 41 of Unleashed I'm John Lund the Warriors are 4 and 7 and have earned the benefit of the doubt and the Lakers have not so all this panic I find to be laughable I'm not saying that the Warriors are going to win another championship maybe they are but you certainly don't need to be panicking at the level that a lot of veteran local media members are I realize the 
day and age we are in that everybody wants to make everybody panic and all these kind of things, but we're smarter locally. I get it nationally, but we're smarter locally. And I got into that at, uh, in depth yesterday. If you want to go back to the podcast and take a listen, I am not panicked in the slightest on the Warriors. And the reason I'm playing a cut of LeBron James, though, who scored 30 in that loss to the Clippers and left early with that uh, hamstring injury, that leg injury, but he can't keep carrying the load. So he's 37 years old. And I'm not a LeBron hater. LeBron's great. I don't know who the greatest of all time is. I don't know that it's LeBron. I don't think that it's LeBron, but he's really, really good. But at 37, he can't keep carrying the load. My point in saying all these things is that I look at the Lakers as a cautionary tale for the Warriors because what is starting to happen through these first 11 games is that amongst the problems that the Warriors are having is they're having a bench problem. Again, I've said this in previous podcasts. I love Steve Kerr. I have a philosophy. I often do this in the podcast. One of my philosophies is even if a player, manager, coach, GM in sports is great, and this applies to life, it doesn't mean they are beyond reproach. I hated criticizing Bruce Bochy when he was the manager of the San Francisco Giants because obviously he knew a ton more than me about baseball, and he had won three World Series titles, but it doesn't mean he can't make mistakes. And we talk about this on a daily basis So you look at a game over 162 and go, eh, maybe that wasn't his best managed game. Same thing with Steve Kerr. 82 games. It doesn't mean he's going to be great for 82 games. Steph Curry. He's obviously the greatest three-point shooter of all time and one of the best basketball players of all time, but it doesn't mean he can't have a bad game. And after that bad game, he shoots three for 20 with 10 turnovers. You have to say Steph Curry wasn't very good tonight. doesn't mean he's not one of the greatest. What are you talking about? Yeah, he's three for 20 with 10 turnovers. He's not good. So in this case... I would say that Steve Kerr and the staff have erred, I believe, in the way that they have treated this bench, these young players. And now they're they're just not – James Wiseman looks over every time he makes a mistake. Moses Moody looks over every time he makes a mistake. Jonathan Kaminga looks over every time he makes a mistake. Am I getting pulled out? Is this the end of my rotation? Steve Kerr said that Jonathan Kaminga was in the rotation, then played him nine minutes. James Wiseman – I'm not saying James Wiseman is great yet, but he doesn't deserve to be benched. You drafted these guys – You made the commitment to these guys, and while they maybe haven't played to the level that you want, you've got to give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes and allow them to make mistakes. If you watch the Willie Mays documentary, which was tremendous uh, on HBO, Willie Mays was 0 for his first 24 in the majors, and Leo DeRocher put his arm around him, his manager, and said, you're my center fielder no matter what. Well, the next day he hit a home run off Warren Spahn, and as Leo DeRocher says, he carried the Giants the rest of that summer and basically for about 20 years. You've got to have some faith at some point, but here's my point. There's discussions now, and this is how I tie in the Lakers, there's discussions about do you revisit trading Kaminga, revisit trading Wiseman, and possibly get a Kevin Durant, or there's talk of Carl Anthony Towns not being happy in Minnesota, which is interesting because he's only 26. And I've always been a proponent of let's ride this thing out as long as you can to win the championships. You have done this thing the right way if you're the Warriors. And not only can you have the wave that you've had, since 2015 of winning championships, you might be able to do a Spurs or a Patriots or a a 20 to 25 year run here if you play this thing right. And maybe it isn't Kaminga and Wiseman and Moody who are going to lead the way and Jordan Poole. Maybe you do have to make a trade and get a young veteran player. I don't know if that's Carl Anthony Towns, but there's somebody out there who's probably disgruntled on a bad team that's, I don't know, 23, 24, 25 years old. And that person can be the next. And I look at the Spurs when they got Kawhi Leonard You've got to have that next guy in place to do it for 20 or 25 years. And I don't know if Kaminga or Wiseman or Moody or the combination of them and Poole is that group. But again, let's tie the Lakers back into this thing. They didn't want to be patient. 
and we live in a microwave society in sports and in other ways. We want satisfaction now. I want that. I want a gourmet meal out of the microwave oven. Doesn't work that way. Well, that's what the Lakers wanted. LeBron was the GM and said, "I don't want young players. I don't want Brandon Ingram. I don't want Lonzo Ball. I don't care about these draft picks. I want to win championships right now." Well, now where are they? Anthony Davis is consistently hurt. LeBron at 37 can't carry a team. They don't have any draft picks. And they're screwed for the foreseeable future. And how I tie the Warriors into that is that I don't want them to go out and get, you know, I I love Kevin Durant. He's off to a hell of a start. But Kevin Durant might win you one or two more championships. You might be able to win those without Kevin Durant. And then when he's gone, you got to hit the reset button and all those young players and all that equity you built up is gone. And that might be fine. Joe Lake might change his opinion and say, you know what? Couple more championships, we reset this thing. I'm fine. I just got. I have the feeling because he said it numerous times that he wants to ride with this young group moving forward. But to do that, you've got to give them an opportunity to make mistakes. Now, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, all those guys, all the veterans on this team, again to say earn the benefit of the doubt, which the entire organization has, they've earned the benefit of the doubt. So if Steph Curry does have that ten turnover game, he's going to stay in the game. I'm not saying James Wiseman has that equity built up in the closet and should be able to have a 10-turnover game, but he should be able to turn it over a couple of times. He should be able to screw it up defensively. You don't learn from the bench, and they have to play these guys at some point so at least they have a general idea of what they do have because right now, if you trade these guys for a veteran, you don't know what they're going to be because you haven't given them enough of an opportunity. All I'm saying is the Lakers are a cautionary tale for the Warriors. They have no way out of this. They can't financially dig out of it. They don't have draft picks. They don't have young players. They don't have players they can build around. It's going to be a long time for the Lakers. So before the Warriors trade these assets, look at what's going on in L.A. Next. Injuries for today. Um, Armstead will not practice. Um, Foot, ankle, Samson, quad, and Achilles won't practice. Greenlaw, calf limited, Verrett, knee limited. Um, That's all I got today. Go ahead. The Samson quad, uh, when did that injury occur? On Monday. I don't think you have to disclose Mitchell, McKibbitts, or Alshire, but would they be limited or full? Um, I don't have to disclose them. <laughs> no, they're full. They're going. I think I would if they were limited, but uh, it actually doesn't say that on here. They're full in my mind. All right, there's Kyle Shanahan in what has become an all-too-familiar scene at most of his press conferences, which is leading off with injuries and leading off with a lot of injuries. So, cleared on Wednesday and looking good for Sunday night against the Chargers. Debo, Jawan Jennings, Juice, Aziz Alshire. Limited Dre Greenlaw, who I thought was going to be a further along, and Jason Verrett, and I'll get into Verrett in just a second, did practice and this is good news, Elijah Mitchell, Alshire, like I said, Colton McKivitz not practicing, and here's the big keys, Eric Armstead again, Samson Ebukam, who uh, suffered a quad injury on Monday. So that's what, that's where we are. So I'm excited for the guys who are coming back. I do think that this could mirror last season in which they got off to the 3-5 and five start. They're 4-4 four and four now. Got a bunch of guys back and made a run, and then you add in Christian McCaffrey and the type of things he can do and helping out Jimmy Garoppolo. The key to me, because offensively, while they've been bad and while the whole league has kind of been bad, if you look at the Rams and Tampa and Green Bay and teams that are generally really good on offense, they haven't been. So it's been a league-wide issue, not just a 49ers issue. But when you have the type of talent offensively that they have, 
in the skill position players and now getting McCaffrey with Debo. And we've talked about it a million times. And I'm sure you've thought about it a million times. It's like, look, they've got overload on offense. Who are you going to choose to stop? And good luck with that. Now, if the offensive line is decent, and at times it has been, but it's got to be better, then this offense is going to roll. Of the things he said there, the two that I'm most concerned about and continue to be concerned about is A, Eric Armstead, who was revealed, and I said this on yesterday's podcast, episode 40, that that not only did he have the plantar fasciitis, and I told you this in previous podcasts as well, that he had another issue that he was dealing with, but I wasn't at liberty to say, and now it's coming out, coming out that he's got he's had an, uh, a hairline fracture of the ankle, but he's still not practicing. And to me, defensively, you can be great at eight or nine positions, but if you're not good in one or two positions, that's where they attack. That's how good they are, and your defense can be suspect. Now, if Eric Armstead comes back, that's a lesser place that they can attack. They've been vulnerable against the run this year. They, they Their defensive tackles have gotten tired out, and that's why you do run the football. People scratch their head, and they say, you're only getting two or three yards per run. Yeah, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to play the long play in a game, and the 49ers just don't have the depth at the defensive tackle position, and it's cost them this year. Eric Armstead is not only their best defensive tackle, but he then allows other guys to play in the roles that they should be playing. And Hassan Ridgeway is not a 40 or 50 snap guy. He's a 20 snap guy. Same thing with Kevin Givens. He's about six foot 285. He's a guy that's going to play 20, 25 snaps tops. He's having to play 40, 50 snaps a game, and he gets tired, and therefore they're vulnerable against the run. So Eric Armstead is massive in the long run here, and I'm not sure he's going to play Sunday night against the Chargers. And then we've talked about this one a lot, Jason Verrett. With the injury to Emmanuel Mosley being out for the season, the corner opposite Shavarius Ward, quarterbacks, Justin Herbert being one of them, will just attack, attack, attack to two second-year guys and a rookie on that side, depending on who's playing. And Jimmy Ward may have to play back in the slot there too because they don't trust the slot position, even though the Chargers don't obviously have the same threat in the slot as last time out against the Rams before the bye week. But they've got to, they've got to shore up that position, and that's where Jason Verrett comes in. And I don't care what anybody tells you, nobody knows. Now, I'll be down at the facility today on Thursday. We'll do our hour with Tim Ryan. So I, I may find out some things today. And on Friday's podcast, I will reveal them to you. But suffice to say that a guy who hasn't played since the opener against the Lions in 2021, Jason Verrett, we just don't know what he's going to bring to the table. And they can watch him in practice, and they can say he's ready, but it just takes time. So, and again, another philosophy that I will give you, it's one thing for a guy to be on the field. It's another thing for him to be the player that he normally is. And for Jason Verrett, it's not realistic for him to be the player that he was before he got injured a year and a half plus after that injury. It's going to take him a couple of games. So the quicker he can get on the field and knock that rust off, the better he's going to be. And if he can shore up that weak spot, and that's a big one, opposite Chavarius Ward and be the player he was before and stay healthy, which is a massive if in his case, then the 49ers are going to be okay. As far as the 49ers are concerned. That's your injury update. I will have an entire second half preview on the Friday podcast. Uh, by the way, just a quick note on the Chargers. As I start to drill down on this thing, one match that, matchup that has me feeling really good. Uh, first of all, one that doesn't. Justin Herbert is back to himself, according to a friend of mine who watches, who covers the Chargers and is in every practice. He had that rib injury, and he said that he's really ripping the ball in practice, so that makes me a little nervous. But no Mike Williams, no Keenan Allen this weekend, so he's still limited in terms of where he gets the football, and he goes to Austin Eckler a ton, an absolute ton. 
And by the way, Eckler's on pace to top Christian McCaffrey's record of 116 catches by a running back. But defensively, the one that makes me nervous, Khalil Mack is back. Maybe not exactly to his Raiders days when we watched him dominate, but he is as healthy as he's been. He was hurt often in Chicago, and he's probably the best pure bull rusher in the NFL, something that right tackle Mike McGlinchey has had issues with. So that's a big one to watch against the Chargers. I'll have a full report tomorrow after I go down to the facility and check out practice. And do remember pre-half and post-game on KNBR 680 in the Bay Area on the 49ers radio network. I will have that this weekend. So give it a listen if you would. That's your 49ers update. And now, one for the road. I don't know if you use Twitter. I use Twitter in uh, in my business, in my media business, uh, more than any other social media. More than any other social media. Uh, at John Lund Radio, hit me up on Twitter and give me your thoughts. What do you use? I I would be interested what you're using. Uh, my son is 18 years old and he uses a number of different things, but I find that Twitter works best for me. And I've used Facebook and. Instagram and all, all the different ones, and, and I think that Twitter, for what I'm trying to accomplish, that's where I get a lot of my news. Uh, it's it's where I shoot out a lot of different things, and it is important, the little blue check mark, which, by the way, Elon Musk uh, owns Twitter now and wants to charge about 8 bucks, and this is my rant here, wants to charge 8 bucks for the blue check mark, which I'm not going to pay for. Uh, it's not that it's not the point of eight bucks a month. It's just the blue check mark. And I wasn't sure. I was thinking, well, maybe I do need the blue check mark. So what has happened here, and this happened on Wednesday, was that I and I didn't know this. And uh, Twitter's located in San Francisco, so I got a couple of friends there. So I gave them a call. And essentially, there used to be a process to getting that blue check mark, and you, they actually did research and said, okay, this is who this person says they are. And so there was a bit of credibility there. And apparently, for eight bucks, you can just get a check mark. So yesterday was screwing up Twitter and a couple of different people, or maybe it was just one guy. But he, first of all, he mirrored this person, mirrored LeBron James' account. So all you got to do is put the same avatar up, make it look very similar. Then he got the blue check mark for eight bucks, and then he put out a tweet that said he was LeBron James out of this account, and that he wanted out of LA, and everybody freaked out. And the one thing you do in the media, or if you're trying to see if something's credible, is you always check for the blue check mark, right? So if there's a Woj bomb in the NBA and there's always people, and I don't know why they get off on doing this, but they try to fake people out and get thrills off of that. I don't get it, but whatever. And you always check for the blue check mark. Oh, no, blue check mark. That's not Woj. Uh, Adam Schefter. Oh, no, blue check mark. That deal didn't happen. What happened to Schefter? Somebody mirrored Schefter's account, same way, same avatar, and said that Josh McDaniels was out in LA, or excuse me, out in Vegas with the Raiders. In other words, fired, not out in Vegas, but fired. And a lot of people freaked out and thought that was him. And then, and the blue check mark was there. So uh, Elon Musk is already screwing up Twitter. And I just have a sneaking suspicion. I don't know this for a fact. That somebody like Mark Cuban or I don't know. I don't know what Jack Dorsey's deal is. The uh, originator of Twitter. I would think that it would be fairly easy to mirror something like Twitter. If you're really smart and just migrate everybody over there. Because I look, I, I don't know Elon Musk very much. He's kind of a crazy guy. I don't own a Tesla. I do have friends that do own Teslas, and I'm not trying to make this podcast political in any way, shape, or form. But they're going away from Tesla because they think he's absolutely insane. At least for a day, though, and maybe this will get cleaned up. Twitter was not Twitter. And I'm not saying it's a place of credibility. It's really a place of hate and people trying to get to you and all those kind of things. And I learned a long time ago, however long Twitter's been out, 
that there are people who just do that because they think it's fun, whether it's somebody trying to mirror an account and get a thrill out of sending everybody right when they should be going left, whether it's just pure hatred, which I get a ton of on my account, or somebody trying to get to you mentally. I don't, again, I don't know why people do that, but they do, but that's just Twitter. But the one thing I could say is, is that I could find the credible information in a short period of time, and then I can quickly confirm it. And so Twitter, for all the negative things that are said about it, and there's plenty, it does serve a purpose, especially in my world. And if there's not going to be credibility in it, then I think a lot of people are going to be searching for another way to do it, and that is one for the road. And that is Unleashed Barrier Sports Talk with me, John Lund from Cambria Radio in San Francisco, episode 41 for Thursday, November 10th, 2021. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe or you get your favorite podcast. We'll have the YouTube channel up on Monday as they finish up the studio. Interact any old time, what you like, what you don't, anything I say. I'd love to hear your reactions to at John Lund Radio on Twitter for now. My day job, KNBR, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. weekdays with the voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa, KNBR 680, KNBR.com. And if you're new here, thank you so much. We will be better tomorrow. It's Unleashed with me, John Lund. Only on the Locked On Podcast Network.